the only thing that really stinks about recording in the summertime is I have to turn everything off. No fan, no air conditioning, nothing because of the ambient noise. And <laughs> it's so hot down here while I'm doing this. It's uh makes it a little uncomfortable, but we're pushing through because that's what I have to do. And uh, yeah, so today I'm going to read you a submission that I did for a writing prompt, a prompt that I found on Reddit. And yeah, because I felt, let's do a story time. So here's the prompt itself. I know I'm getting right into this. Here's the prompt. The king had no choice but to use it, an ancient weapon from before the age of magic. Quote, unquote, orbital strike activated. The weapon said in a language long lost. Okay, that's the prompt. Here is my submission. My lord, our defenses are crumbling at the force of their sorcerer's weapons. Camelot will not hold through the night. Arthur nodded as the messenger bowed somberly and left the king's quarters. The siege was now entering its sixth day, and the resolve of the proud people of the kingdom was beginning to fracture with every magical blast. Merlin's protection was waning. It had been eight months since Arthur's trusted advisor and the high protector of Camelot died suddenly, leaving both the kingdom vulnerable and a dark cloud over its king's soul. Though most would never know that Arthur wasn't coping well, sticking to his daily routines and weekly addresses. Only those closest to him saw the toll Merlin's death had taken on their once steeled king. With the seemingly imminent demise of his thriving and glorious kingdom, Arthur was now faced with a decision. A decision that his departed mentor foretold would come, but one he feared would bring cataclysmic repercussions for both Camelot and Arthur's lineage. Before his passing, Merlin spoke of an ancient celestial weapon that was bound with the soul of the sword Excalibur. The weapon was said to call upon the stars and unleash devastation upon the enemy of the wielder of the sword of power. Yet as timeless as Merlin was, he did not know whether the legend was true and advised against seeking the aid of such a device. Merlin even went so far as to hide the Book of Aura, which contained the spell needed to conjure the mysterious force, casting a protection over it so no one would be able to gain access. However, just like the force field that guarded Camelot, Merlin's death heralded a poison to the spell, breaking it down. Even so, Excalibur's bond with the book was far too strong for any spell to get in the way, and as Arthur looked out over his city, a tone lifted over the sounds of explosions. Arthur turned his gaze from the battle and searched his war room for the source, but the noise wasn't coming from anywhere within the room. Arthur followed it out into the corridor, past his chambers and his personal privy, 
and down the spiral stairs to the level below. But as he descended, he stopped and realized the noise was coming from above. He quickly turned and took the spiral stairs that led into the tower above his quarters. Merlin's tower. With every step, the sound grew louder and more purposeful, muffling the terrible ordeal outside. The staircase to Merlin's room was longer than any other in the castle, and though Arthur's curiosity was the driving force, the ascent was made longer by his heavy heart and a magical wind that seemed to be pushing him back. He used the stone walls as crutches to keep him upright as every step became a new obstacle to overcome. The air was strong and thick, forcing Arthur to shut his eyes, but that didn't stop him from noticing the glow coming from his side. Arthur looked down at the sheathed Excalibur and saw a purple light breathing in and out, following the beats of his own heart. Somewhat reluctantly, Arthur grasped the grip of his sword and released it from its shelter. His reflexes have always guided him in handling Excalibur, never having to look upon it during a contest. But in this moment, Arthur's instincts faded and he stared at it as though the sword were a stranger. For a moment, it even felt foreign. The weight was different. The hilt appeared to be changing shape, and the length seemed to be longer. But as he brought it in front of him, he saw his reflection in the fuller, and the fear instantly left. Arthur focused his gaze at the eyes staring back at him and watched as the glow replayed visions of every battle, every conquest, every clang of opponents' weapons falling to the power of their bond, and he was reminded of what Excalibur was above all else, his companion. Arthur steeled himself and continued up the steps, unencumbered by the magic fighting to hold him back. Excalibur was stretched before him as a torch in a cave, his eyes filled with the purple flame that pulsed with every beat of the heart he shared with his sword. Every step upwards was met with more force against them, but no amount of sorcery could stave the resolve of the Lords of Camelot. As Arthur reached the top, the magic stilled. So many countless nights were spent in that room. Thousands of hours of training, counsel, strategy, and laughter were ingrained in every stone. Anything Merlin deemed worthy of being spoken was said in this room. This is where Arthur first learned of his destiny, and where the two of them birthed the concept of the round table. Even with all of that, Arthur felt as though this was the first time he'd ever been in the room. Something was different. It looked the same, but the absence of his friend left an eerie void, alive with sorrow. Arthur dropped Excalibur down at his side, using it as a cane to hold himself steady. He closed his eyes and pictured the wizard at his table, thumbing through scrolls and conjuring birds of flame and water that flew around the room to entertain Arthur while he tried to locate the day's lesson. He saw Merlin standing before him, swinging his staff at a boy barely able to hold the substantial sword he pulled from the stone. He reflected on Merlin's skill in combat only being outmatched by his brilliant mind. A tear rolled down Arthur's cheek, but by the time it landed on the floor, his focus was back in line. If it weren't for the hum and matching glow, Arthur would never have noticed the book. It wasn't because he didn't know where to look, but for the fact that the book was invisible. Each pulse outlined the book suspended in the air just out of Arthur's reach. Arthur sheathed Excalibur before grabbing the stool he had sat on almost every day since coming to Camelot, and used it as a stepladder to retrieve the magical text. As he reached for the area where the book was floating, his hand passed through as though it was a figment of his imagination. 
He swiped both hands over the area, carefully at first and then wildly when every attempt failed. After feeling defeated, Arthur laid his arms at his side and just stared at the pulsing image, wondering what he was doing wrong. He tried to think back on all of Merlin's lessons and parables. He searched through the riddles and quips, but came up short. Then he remembered. The book had a magical bond with Excalibur. Arthur unsheathed the sword and held it up to the book. As Excalibur neared, the pulsing stopped, and the empty air was replaced by a text that looked unlike any other in Merlin's study, and there were thousands to compare it to. The book simultaneously looked both ancient and futuristic. Arthur saw familiarity in the binding, and the more he stared at it, the more he realized that it resembled the very sword used to conjure it. A clasp used to hold the book shut looked like a contorted version of the hilt. The leather matched the same used on the grip. The symbols that looked foreign to him were constructed with the same metal of Excalibur's blade. It was equally as stunning, and even without touching it, Arthur knew that it was just as lethal. Still holding Excalibur up to it, Arthur reached out with his other hand and finally grasped the book. As he did, the magic holding it in place was released and the book surrendered to him. Arthur stepped down off the stool and walked over to Merlin's desk, never taking his eyes from the book. He placed it down face up and studied it. He was in awe and felt himself succumbing to its power when he was snapped back to reality by an explosion followed by cries. Arthur quickly ran to Merlin's balcony and looked in horror as the magical barrier that was holding the enemy back was finally destroyed by the sorcerer. Camelot was now on fire. An ire filled his eyes and Arthur rushed back to the table. He went to open the text but found that it was sealed shut. He looked at the clasp holding it closed. There was no lock, no lever or buckle. It was keeping him from opening it, but there was no clear way around it. Then it came to him just as it did when he was standing on the stool. Excalibur was the key. Arthur brought up the sword and awkwardly placed the blade upon the clasp. Nothing happened. Confused, Arthur took a step back and carefully placed the tip of Excalibur on the same area. Nothing. Then he gave it a forceful tap with the fuller before taking a wild overhand swing at it. Still, it didn't budge. Arthur was growing impatient. His city was under siege, his people were in danger, his knights were likely dying for their king, and he was stuck up here, fighting a book. As foolish and dishonored as he felt in that moment, Arthur knew this book held the key to ending this war. There had to be a way in. That's when he noticed for the first time in days, he wasn't alone. Of course, he had been surrounded by his people and his knights daily, but their presence didn't hold a candle to the weight of Merlin's. Arthur slowly turned around and almost fell to his knees as he beheld the specter before him. Lit up in the same purple glow of both the sword and the book, the image of Merlin stared back at him with a somber yet endearing expression on his face. My dear boy, the voice was familiar but the tone was unearthly and hypnotic. The time I had feared for you has finally come. You know the danger, yet still, here you are. Merlin shook his head slowly and grinned as his eyes remained heavy. I'm so proud of you. Like the child that once stood before his mentor, Arthur's eyes welled up and he said, But I have failed, he sniffed. Camelot is lost and I'm up in your tower. I failed my people. I failed you. 
I can't even open a book. How have I been put into this role of king when I can't even protect my people? The ghost of Merlin stepped closer. Camelot has thrived under your rule. Its people have always looked to you because you are a just and righteous ruler. You have always been at the front line, putting yourself in harm's way to ensure their safety. Above all that, you are a good man. You may believe you don't deserve Camelot, but Camelot certainly deserves you. Do not take that from them, Merlin smiled. Now, what's this about opening a book? Arthur gestured behind him. The book you warned me about, it's shut. So open it, Merlin laughed. Weren't you listening? I can't. It's sealed with magic. Merlin walked through Arthur, sending a shiver through the king's body, and went to the desk. He bent down and placed his head just above the book. Doesn't look sealed. Arthur stood next to the wizard, but took a step sideways when he remembered the feeling he got when the spirit passed through him. What are you talking about, you old fool? It's clasped shut, and there's no way to open it. Ignoring the insult that he had heard in jest many times from his pupil, Merlin stood straight up and turned to face Arthur. Did you ask it nicely? The king's mouth dropped. Ask it nicely? Are you being funny? Or is this another one of your twisted riddles that you plagued me with my whole life? Merlin held up a finger. Not your whole life. You still have a little time left. He smirked. A great sadness fell over him. What do you... Before he could finish his question, Merlin took a step back and gestured to the book. Go ahead, my boy. Ask it to open. He wanted to press the wizard again, but he suddenly became aware that he was addressing a ghost that may or may not just be a hallucination, brought on by sadness and fear for his city. Instead, he heeded the words of the apparition and stood in front of the book. Feeling foolish, he leaned down and whispered, Please open. It can't hear you. Arthur stood up in annoyance. He closed his eyes and sighed heavily in frustration before repeating, Please open, this time nearly shouting it. Merlin smiled and said, That's better, and snapped his finger, which the mere physics of perplexed Arthur beyond reasoning. But he chalked it off as another piece of this whole experience that was clearly a psychotic episode. Merlin's snap caused the book to magically open. Arthur sighed again. I didn't actually need to ask it to open, did I? No. Merlin laughed teasingly but it's nice to be nice. Even in death you're a pain, Arthur chuckled. When he was done laughing, Arthur looked down at the book and realized its contents were in symbols he didn't recognize. He had looked at many of Merlin's books, several of which were in languages he didn't know, but these looked unlike anything he had ever seen. What is this? Merlin stood beside him again. It's an astral script, a language that predates this world. No one alive can read it. Arthur started to respond, but Merlin quickly continued. No one that has passed from this world can read it either. So how am I to call upon its power? Arthur asked in frustration. Merlin looked down and pointed at Excalibur. Use the sword, of course. Arthur raised Excalibur. Use the sword? What does that even mean? Arthur started to wonder if striking a spirit was in the realm of possibility. Merlin looked at him as though he could read his thoughts and smiled, but only addressed his question. Did the sword not guide you through my spells? The glow? Really? asked Arthur. How else would you illuminate that which you cannot see? Arthur sighed again. 
Just once, I'd love it if you could speak to me without riddles. Where's the fun in that? Merlin quipped. Arthur brought the blade of Excalibur to the pages in the book. As he did, both the book and the sword glowed in the same purple, and the symbols began to change from the unknown to the familiar Latin. Arthur looked both incredulous and amazed. I will never get used to your magic, you old wizard. He immediately realized the sad truth behind his words, but quickly brushed it off before he could succumb to sorrow. Thankfully, Latin was one of the several languages that Merlin taught Arthur, so he was able to read the text without issue. The preface of the book was a warning. Only the bearer of the hollowed sword that shares the heavenly metal of this book can wield the divine power within. However, the use of such power will render the sword asunder and bring upon the demise of the bearer. No earthly being can withstand its ethereal energy. Use only when all else is lost, but bear in mind the price that must be paid. Godspeed. Arthur read the warning over and over again, hoping that it was written by someone like Merlin, who always used hidden messages and meanings. But no matter how hard he sought an alternative ending, he knew that the words were straightforward and true. His head and shoulders sagged in defeat, but then a revelation came to him. The safety and preservation of Camelot was all that mattered. His love for his people and his kingdom were all he needed to make his decision an easy one. Arthur straightened himself and continued to the next page. He spent the next few moments going through each line, ensuring that he retained and understood the directions. When he was satisfied, he closed the book and turned to his teacher, who was staring at him with the same somber expression he had when he appeared. I'm ready, Arthur said with purpose. Merlin smiled. I know. And with one last smile and a snap, the wizard vanished, leaving Arthur to his task. Arthur walked back out to the balcony and looked over his city. He looked down upon the enemy forces that were just beginning their breach after the barrier came down, and Arthur thought, Did Merlin stop time while he was here? But he pushed the thought aside and turned his gaze to the stars. Arthur held Excalibur high above his head with one hand and started declaring the words he read in the text. As he did, the stars above him started to move as though they were dancing. Every inflection called more stars into the mix until a massive, swirling formation of light started taking shape over Camelot. As Arthur neared the end of the declaration, the Earth started to respond to the astral occurrence. A mighty wind began to blow through the city. Lightning flashed across the sky with every word and the tremors began to rumble, but no one within Camelot was affected. Outside the city walls, the enemy's forces were beginning to scatter. Some were swallowed up by crevices in the earth, while others were struck down by lightning or fallen trees. Arthur removed his gaze from the stars that now formed a solid circle of light and looked down at the army at his gates, and even though he was too far to see anyone up close, he locked eyes with the sorcerer who was staring back at him and yelling what Arthur assumed were incantations. But he knew they were falling deaf due to the power that Arthur was calling upon. Arthur smiled and then looked over his beloved city for the last time. A tear escaped from his eye as he smiled, and before the drop could complete its fall to the ground, Arthur spoke the final line, and all visibility was replaced by a brilliant light, brighter than ever seen before. The beam crashed over the enemy, evaporating all that stood against the great city. 
As quickly as the light came down, it rescinded into the sky, and the stars returned to their positions as if nothing had happened. Camelot arose. The people and armies moved about the city in astonishment. All traces of the enemy were gone. Only the scars of battle remained on the walls and buildings. Sounds of rejoicing echoed throughout. The messenger leaped breathlessly up the stairs and down the hallway to his king's quarters. Though he was out of breath, he started speaking before even entering the room. My lord, my lord, Camelot is saved. Camelot is... The messenger stopped. When he realized the room was empty, he scoured every other room in the king's hall before ascending the stairs to Merlin's tower. When he didn't see anyone in the wizard's room, he decided to go out on the balcony to see how the celebrations looked from the highest point in the kingdom. As he walked into the open air, his elation of the victory was replaced by confusion as he felt something hard under his feet. The messenger knelt down and picked up the hilt that sat alone among a pile of stardust. He grasped the grip and grabbed a handful of the strange dust before standing. He stared at the items in his hands and looked up to the stars. That's my submission. Hope you enjoyed it. I That was actually the first time that I had read it <laughs> since writing it. Uh, so I wasn't sure what to think. Uh, I hope it came out well. It seemed to be okay. Uh, you don't know it, but I actually had to stop and restart quite a few times because I, I just uh, I, tongue-tied and uh, couldn't get through the words. Uh, but hopefully it sounded okay for you. I think it was just uh, just me. So, yeah, there you go. I'm recording this on the 4th of July. Happy 4th, if you're listening to it today. Uh, if not, hope you had a good 4th. And uh, for those of you outside of the country, just a happy Monday. Uh, next week, I'm hoping to have something else. I'm going to actually be leaving next Monday uh, to go overseas. So the plan is to record while I'm out there, um, but I will not be arriving until Tuesday, leaving Monday night, arriving Tuesday. Um, I'm planning on recording something before I go. That way I can send it out before I leave and then record something for the following week while I'm out there. Dips and I will be together. Uh, We're having a family reunion slash party. So we'll be recording for for reels uh, along with some other people uh, that are going to be joining us. So that should be fun. Uh, If you haven't already, check out for reels. The, The last episode that we did was a last concession uh, of the movie Silence of the Lambs. Uh, and I won the coin cost. The coin cost. I won the coin toss. Uh, but actually, that gave me the opportunity to choose which which position I wanted to take. And I, I kind of flew, kind of uh, flew. I threw dips for a loop and I took the unpopular choice because that's how I, well, you know what? Check it out and uh, you'll you'll find out why I did so. It was absurd. <laughs> it was absolutely absurd the points that i came up with were just uh, uh some of them were reaching and then others were like wait a minute that actually makes a lot of sense but anyway that was fun and we had a guest judge uh our, our friend carrie it's actually dip's great friend and uh my new friend um and uh, it was very very enjoyable he was the guest judge who he actually laid judgment on uh, on us which was very good because you know uh, before the first last concession that we did dips was keeping score 
as <laughs> he he awarded himself the win, but that's controversial, and uh, I will never let that go. So yeah, check that out, and uh, yeah, until next time, see you, not see you. <laughs>